Well, thank you very much. It is great to be back at Northside. I love this church. I, I love any opportunity that I get to be with you all. And I'm excited about your all's future. I've always appreciated your past and your present and what's going on. And I've been praying for you all as you all are kind of in search and in that transition time. I know it's a little weird when you come into church and you never know who's going to be up there. So surprise. <laughs> uh, I know it's a little different. I, I understand that. But let me just tell you, your, your elders and your leaders are doing a great job. And uh, Jim and Aaron and Jacob have done great in the pulpit. And I know that the staff has done a great job. I also know that the elders are diligently looking, they're praying, but they're also patient. And uh, it's so much better to make certain that you get the right, right person than just to say, oh, well, let's, let's grab, grab this person. So I know God's got somebody awesome that's going to be a part of this leadership team, and I look forward to seeing who that's going to be. Now, you all have been in this series where you're going through Quest 52, Mark Moore's book, and you're, you're looking at the life of Christ, and I know it's been exciting for you, and I've enjoyed working on this message. Last week, uh, Anthony's message on morality kind of ties in with this week's because both piety and morality can be motivated by people's approval rather than by, by God's. So motives matter, and that's what we're going to find. If you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. We are in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount is where we find ourselves this, this weekend. And the opening verse of Matthew chapter 6 will actually give us the central theme for our message today, and it will be the kind of the message in, in a nutshell. We begin in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, and it says, Be careful, Jesus is speaking here, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So he says, don't practice your righteousness to be seen by others. And, and lots of times that's what happens. And today we're going to learn that when it comes to spiritual disciplines, uh, religious rituals for piety purposes always present problems and when we get wrapped up in worrying more about what other people think about our spirituality or our walk with Christ that's that's when we're in trouble so we're going to unpack this passage in Matthew chapter 6 uh, where Jesus is going to give us three warnings about three different disciplines of the Christian life and here's the very first warning that he gives and that is Giving to impress others sickens God. Giving to impress others sickens God. Look at verses 2 through 4. Jesus says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So Jesus is talking about the motives. Why is it that you give? Why is it that you are a, a generous individual? You see, some of the religious leaders of Jesus' day were, were quite hypocritical. And it still happens today. You'll find spiritual leaders and religious leaders who are hypocritical. I, I, I struggle in my own life to try to be that same person in my heart that, that I appear to be on the outside. 
And Jesus begins this discourse of this particular section of the Sermon on the Mount talking about giving because there were some things that were going on when people would give to the poor. It seemed that they were more interested in, in the, the fact that people would notice what was being given. You see, sometimes when money would be given in the synagogue, a, a trumpet would sound if someone gave a, a, a larger amount. And that person, as they're giving that gift, they're probably thinking, well, these people are seeing this gift and they were wanting that praise and Christ knew their intent and Christ knew their motivation. And we laugh at the Pharisees and the religious leaders for being so pious, but we do the same thing. When, when we give, we want our name to be listed somewhere or we want some type of recognition or maybe we'll, we don't get those things, but we will work it into conversation with others about how much we give to the church or how much we give to some ministry. We're just a little bit more discreet than having the, the trumpets blown. John Stott said, we do not employ a troop of trumpeters to blow a fanfare each time we give to church or charity. Yet, to use the familiar metaphor, we do like to toot our own horns in hopes of being praised by others. And it's important for us to take a look at the manner in which we give and why we give. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse, verse 6, it says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, I just mentioned about the trumpets that sometimes would, would sound after a person would make a large gift. Well, the meaning when Jesus refers to the, this trumpet also has a, a double meaning. It's a unique significance because uh, they used to have these trumpet-shaped receptacles. And when a person would give in the synagogue, the, the money would come sliding down into this trumpet-shaped receptacle. Think of it like this. You ever gone to a restaurant with uh, uh, your child or your grandchild and they see a gumball machine at the door and they say, oh, I got to get a gumball. I got to have a gumball. And so what do you do? You find a quarter that you got and you pull that quarter out and, and you say, put that in. They put it in. And what happens? That gumball makes all those spins and finally makes it down to the bottom, right? That's kind of what it was like when people would give their money. It's a person taking $100 and instead of putting a $100 bill in there, they get it exchanged for nickels or for quarters, and so there's this long sound of that coming all the way down. And what happens is people hear that long sound and they go, oh, wow, well, what was that over there? And they look over and there's the person who's given this large gift, enjoying everyone looking over to see who's responsible for that long sound. But there's one time in Luke chapter 21 where Jesus is nearby the treasury there and he's with his disciples, and they're just kind of taking everything in, the sights and the sounds. They've heard some loud noises when all of a sudden a, a little poor widow lady steps up, and she puts in her gift, and it goes plink, plink, and no one notices it. No one hears it, but Jesus does. And Jesus uses it as a teaching moment with his his disciples and he says hey do, do you realize that that lady gave more than anybody else has and disciples are probably looking at him like you gotta be kidding me and Jesus says she gave everything that she had sometimes we refer to this story in the bible as called the the widow's mites but that's a little bit misleading and here's why when you think of a mite you think of singular but really what she gave was the bible says two copper coins 
You say, what's significant about that? Well, she could have kept one. Instead, she, she gave everything she had, and that's why Jesus calls it out, because she wasn't telling anyone else. She, she just gave everything that she had. A couple of summers ago, I was, I was out of town. I was at the home of one of my best friends, a long ways away from here, and we're having dinner with his family, and after the meal is over, he says, hey, hey, I want to show you something. Come with me. I'm like, okay. He takes me in, into this room, and He's got a massage chair in there that he just got. He said, you cannot leave the house until you have sat in here for 15 minutes. I'm like, you know, you don't need to twist my arm. I'm, I'm good, right? And so I sat down and I was in that for a few minutes. And, and when I woke back up, uh, <laughs> I walked in the kitchen and I said, dude, I said, I love your chair. I said, that is awesome. He was, you could tell, very excited about it. And he wanted me to enjoy it. And I got the impression that everyone who came in his house got to enjoy it as well. Well, that was in August. I want you to fast forward to the day after Christmas. And he calls me up and we talk regularly. But after a couple of minutes, he said, hey, he said, I just got a notification on my phone uh, that something's been, a package has been delivered to your home. I said, great, great. He said, well, go get it. I don't want you to, to back over. Well, he sends me books all the time. So I'm like, I'm wondering what he sent me this time. And so I come out into my garage and I see this humongous box truck with a lift on it. And the lift starts coming down. And I just said into my phone, I said, you didn't. And he said, I did. I said, I, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. It was, it was crazy. I look out. Here's this big box with the massage chair coming down the lift. My wife, Beth, is out there. She's pumped up. My son, Sam, he's out there. He's pumped up. I have to tell you, when I, when I walked out of my kitchen into the garage and I saw that truck while I was talking to him, I, I got a lump in my throat and I got a tear in my eye. I, I only cry if you give me a new massage chair, all right? Uh, I, I couldn't believe it. And finally, I, I just said to him, I said, I, I, I can't accept it. He said, yes, you can. I said, okay. Uh, I mean, I, the whole rest of the day, I just kept saying to my family, he is so generous, he is so generous. And my son said, well, well I helped too. And I said, I'm sorry, I Sam. I said, I had no idea that you chipped in on it. I said, what, what did you give? He said, well, I, I gave him your address. <laughs> Unbelievable, you know? But that chair is the most popular seat in our house. People come over to our house. If they've been before, they just walk right past me. They just go down to the room where the massage chair is. They don't even say hi. They just head right there. Now, we were so appreciative. We sent videos to him. We wrote thank you notes. The next time I was out where he lived, I flew out there. I saw him in person. It was my first time to see him since then. I said, hey, I said, I, I, I can't thank you enough for that. I said, by the way, I, I love your car. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> I thought it. Uh, but can I tell you something? He, he doesn't want me to ever tell anyone who gave that to me. He doesn't want any fanfare. He doesn't want any trumpets to blow. He just wanted to bless me. And I, I, I see people here 
in this church who I know are those type of givers. And you're just generous and you just, you just give, not for any fanfare, not for a trumpet sound, but just because you like to bless others. Give to honor God and to encourage others. Give to help the needy. Give in order to sustain the ministry. Give in order to help the gospel be spread around the world. But don't give to be applauded or to be noticed by others. For God so loved the world that he gave. You never look more like God than when you give. Well, here's the second area of warning in Jesus' challenge, and it's in Matthew 6, and it's, we would just summarize it to say, praying to appear spiritual frustrates God. Praying to appear spiritual frustrates God. We look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He's saying, don't make prayer something that draws attention to you. Don't craft your prayer so that you sound super spiritual or intellectual. Jesus says when you do that, you're pushing people away from God. You're putting up barriers. Not, not to mention that according to Isaiah chapter 1, God's not listening to those prayers. You say, oh, wait just a second. You're telling me that when I pray, sometimes God isn't listening to me? Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, God says, I will not listen. You say, what? God says that? Why in the world would God say that? I'm not going to listen to your prayers. Well, the reason why was within that context, God was saying, I am tired of your perfunctory, pious prayers. You're just reciting them so quickly that they have no meaning. It's like reciting the Lord's Prayer, but saying it at twice the speed, like you're listening to a long podcast in a short amount of time. Prayer is a conversation between you and God. That's it. That's all it is. You don't have to have flowery speech. I don't like prayers that are real holier than thou. I think God probably is saying, who, who are they talking to down there? When I talked to my dad growing up, I didn't say, oh, great father, the one who gives me my allowance each week, the one who transports me from social activities to extracurricular activities. No, I call him dad. And the Bible says, Abba, father. And when I talked to my dad on earth, I would talk to him with respect and with reverence, but there was also a joy, there was a celebration, there was appreciation there's honor, there is communication and conversation. That's prayer. But in the next few verses, Jesus gives us a model for how we can pray. And both Matthew and Luke's Gospels record the words. But more important than memorizing or reciting these words, I want you to see what's happening in the prayer because it's a, it's a good template. It's, it's a good model for us and pattern for us to follow when we pray. And so what I want us to do is we're, we're just going to read this next passage, the, the Lord's Prayer, out loud. 
And I want you to, to read it with some passion, but I also want you to read it with some reverence. And it may be in a different translation than maybe how you learned it. So just follow along with me on the screen and let's pray this prayer to God together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I love that prayer because it reminds us of what we're to pray. The first phrase simply says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The, the word I want you to think of when you think of that is praise. Prayer begins with praise. It's praising God. Uh, hallowed be your name. One little kid prayed, our Father who art in heaven, Howard be thy name. No, no, it's, it's, it's hallowed. It literally means to, to be holy. What we are saying is your name is holy, God. We are setting you apart. You are worthy to be adored. You are worthy of your name. That's what Sidney just sang for us a few minutes ago. You're, you're worthy of that. The second phrase, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When I think of that, I think of the word priorities. David Jeremiah says, the Bible teaches that if you're a Christian, the kingdom of God is within you. The king has come to live within your heart. So when you pray, thy kingdom come, you are saying, God, you're the king. You, you live in my heart and I want your kingdom principles and purposes to be fleshed out through my everyday experience. The next phrase, give us today our, our daily bread. I think of the word provision. We're asking God to provide for our needs, to, to give us our, our daily bread. Give us not more than we need, just give us what we need. The next phrase says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And here I think of two words. I think of personal relationships. And if we want to enjoy relational harmony with God, we must forgive those who have wronged us. It was Lord Herbert who wrote these words. He who cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he himself must someday pass. The next phrase says, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That next section just reminds me of the word protection. We want God's protection. It's tough to pray a prayer of protection. Don't lead us into temptation if you already have sin on your calendar if you're planning something that you're going to do or something you're going to say, if you've already premeditated and thought it through in your mind, you're, you're, you're not praying for protection. The final phrase says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And I summarize that phrase with the word praise. The exact same way that we started. You ever struggle with, with what to pray? If you do, just grab your phone right now and take a picture. We've got these six words up there on the screen. And that's how you can just walk through a simple prayer time when you start your day. Through praise, priorities, provision, 
personal relationships, protection, and praise. It just walks through the, the Lord's Prayer. Because in that model prayer, the prayer time ends the same way it begins, by acknowledging that there is only one who is worthy of our praise. You see, prayer has the potential to change so many different things, but more importantly than that, prayer has the potential to change us. Just make certain that when you're praying, publicly or privately, that you're talking to God and not for the benefit of others. Jesus gives us some good warnings about piety and performance here. We've learned that giving to impress others sickens God. Praying to appear spiritual frustrates God. Here's the last section. Fasting to draw attention to your spirituality angers God. Jesus will never be attracted to phony antics displayed under the vice of real spirituality. And there is a spiritual discipline that is very important in God's eyes, but we as Christian leaders, we don't talk about it very often. And I'm speaking about the discipline of fasting. Fasting goes all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament. It's very interesting that, that God only commanded people to fast one day out of the entire year back in the Old Testament. You know when it was? It was the Day of Atonement. It was that day when they would make sacrifices on behalf of their sins and they would repent of their sins and they would ask God for forgiveness. But there were other occasions when people would, would fast. Do you know that the Bible talks about fasting 74 different times? And we even talked about it in our country. There was a president who actually declared a day of fasting for the United States. It was Abraham Lincoln. It was in March of 1863. And the reason he called our nation to fast was for the sake of repentance. You think our nation could use that today? Look at verses 17 and 18 of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He says, look normal, act normal, wash your face. You don't have to pray all day when you fast. Just carry on with your daily work. Use the, that normal meal and snack time for prayer. Don't look like a bucket of gloom. Don't alert those around you of what's taking place. Don't say, oh, hey, hey, you don't look good today. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> there's a reason I don't look good today. I did not eat my Cheerios this morning, if you know what I mean, all right? I've been fasting and praying, and uh, it's been a pretty rough two hours for me, uh, you know? <laughs> there, there's a misconception that fasting is a method of, of losing weight. But the Bible examples never allude to that, nor do they encourage that as a reason for fasting. Uh, we had a lady at, at Southeast years ago that called our, our sports and fitness center to sign up for a Pilates class. And the woman who answered the phone said, well, just be here Tuesday morning and uh, bring $10 and, and wear loose-fitting clothing. And there was a pause, and the lady said, if I had any loose-fitting clothing, I wouldn't be signing up for the Pilates class. Okay? <laughs> when we fast, we are denying ourselves of something that is common, something that is normal and necessary, and God can fill that time and that void by doing a work in our hearts. 
If I were to give you a very simple definition of fasting, I might say fasting is the abstaining of food with a spiritual goal in mind. So it's not taking a break from food in order to lose weight, although that's good to cleanse your body every once in a while. It's so that every hunger pang that you have drives us back to God, the one on, on whom we are dependent. Ronnie Floyd said, surrender means we must be empty so that we can be filled. And my own personal experience has been that the times when I, I, I fast, God always teaches me something and I always walk away closer to him th than when I came. You know, in the New Testament, in this particular passage, it says three different places. It's very clear in how it says it. It says, when you give. And then the next section starts by saying, when you pray. You know, we like to, as preachers, you always hear preachers who like to talk about the Greek language. You know, the New Testament is written in Greek. And we think that if we explain that to you, that you'll say, well, wow, he is really smart. This guy's really smart. He knows Greek. No, we just have learned that one phrase and what it means, okay? But sometimes preachers will say, well, that's in the present tense there. And when it's present tense, that means continual action. So when it says, when you give, you know what it's really saying? That that's something that you continually do. We like to talk about giving, so that's important for us, right? And then we say, when you pray, you know what? When you pray, that's also in the present tense, which means it's continual ongoing action. It's not a one-time thing when you pray, but it's an ongoing activity of prayer. But, but look at the next one. When you fast. Present tense, continual action. Not a one-time thing. Jesus is saying, I expect my followers to fast. And so we should look for opportunities and ways to do that. I mean, if sacrifice is giving up something that you love for something that you love more, then maybe for some of us, food is at the top of that list. It's a paradox of Christ's upside-down kingdom. The weak become strong. Perhaps you try to stretch yourself and you fast. You say, I'm, I'm going to skip a meal this week. And during that meal, I'm going to talk to God or I'm going to read my Bible. Or you're going to reflect a greater devotion and greater desperation and dependency on him. Years ago in America, people would eat to live. Nowadays, we seem to live to eat. And we take our food quite seriously. Sometimes when I speak at a conference or at a banquet, an assistant will request my travel information or my hotel preferences. And then they always, now they ask this question, do you have any food allergies? Do you have any food allergies? Well, I found out a few years ago that I was lactose intolerant, which basically means that any food that tastes good, I can't have, all right? And I've also discovered that the people who collect the food allergy information rarely pass it on to the actual food people. And so when I get to the luncheon that I'm speaking for or the dinner banquet that I find myself at, they have not passed it on and they're oblivious to the fact that I can't consume dairy. And so they bring me my plate and it's got macaroni and cheese with a glass of whole milk and for dessert, buttermilk pie with a, a scoop of ice cream. I might be stretching it a little bit, but you know what I mean, right? Now, there was one exception where the food allergy info did get passed along. It was an event in Nashville that I was at. It was a dinner with about 70 people. The host had brought in a Grammy award-winning singer to have a private concert for the 70 of us after dinner. And the singer was seated eight feet away from me. 
And the lady in charge of the meal was helping the servers deliver the entrees. And just after the young gal across from her set my plate down right in front of me, the lady in charge of the meal from the other side of the table began yelling, no, 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 he doesn't get that meal. He's lactose intolerant. <laughs> the entire room, people are gasping. People are whispering, I knew there was something different about him. Mm. My face instantly turns bright red. Everyone is now gawking. Men, women, Grammy Award winners, all right? Step right up, see the lactose loser, all right? I, I was so embarrassed. At my own table, the people on either side of me are taking their chairs and scooting them away. One of them was my wife. <laughs> Now, in those scenarios, sometimes I end up fasting because there's not anything that I can eat, but that's unintentional. And when Christ is talking about fasting, he's talking about there is a dependency on him and you have set out to do this. You have blocked that out and you've said, okay, when, when I feel hungry and my stomach growls, I'm, I'm just going to talk to God. James chapter four, verse eight says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This summer, maybe you've been out on the lake on a boat and when you draw closer to the shoreline, sometimes you attach a rope to something and you turn off the motor and what do you do? You, you pull yourself in. Now understand, you are not pulling the shore to you. You are pulling yourself closer to the shore. And that's what happens when we fast. We are not pulling God closer to us. We are being drawn closer to him. And in Jesus' day, he wanted to make certain that his disciples were different than the Pharisees because the Pharisees liked to put themselves on a pedestal of piety. And when they fasted, they made certain that everybody knew that they were fasting. Sometimes people fast for health reasons, but Jesus is talking about fasting for spiritual reasons you might do it as a way to help discern what God's will is for your life. Maybe it's about a career choice that you need to make. Maybe it's a relationship of a relative who is struggling in some area or for a coworker to consider Christianity. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a fast from food. You may choose to take a brief fast from social media or from screens or from video games or from secular music or from some hobby that can dominate your time. I'm saying that sometimes those things are a bigger sacrifice than, than food. And it communicates that you're serious about wanting to pursue spiritual things more than physical things. It communicates a dependence on God. You remember in the New Testament when Jesus fasted for 40 days and then Satan came at him. Because Satan thought, now I've got him. This is the weakest condition he's ever been in. No. He was weak physically, but he was stronger spiritually than he had ever been because of his dependence on God. Let me close by trying to, to wrap up giving and praying and fasting. The other day I was, I was telling someone who was about 30 years old I was explaining to them how prior to 9-11, uh, you could actually go to the gate where someone was coming or where they were leaving from, and you could just walk right down to the gate. You didn't even have to be flying. 
And they said, oh, there's no way. Oh, I said, way, it's possible. That's what we used to do. How many of y'all remember those days? There was no TSA. You just, you just breezed right on up to where the, the, the plane was pulling out. And back in the 90s, sometimes when I would fly out of Louisville, oftentimes in my first flight, it would take me to Cincinnati, Ohio. That was where Delta, their hub was, where I would go from Louisville to Cincinnati, then I'd end up going to where I was trying to get to. But I would have a short layover there, and then I would fly on to someplace else. Sometimes I just had 45 minutes, maybe I had 30 minutes, but my parents lived in Cincinnati. And so my mom and dad would meet me at the gate, and they would walk with me to the next gate. And we'd have a few minutes, maybe we'd get to sit down and, and grab a quick bite to eat or get something to drink. Sometimes we, we would just walk from one gate to the other and we, we would just talk. And I know some of you would say, why in the world would they do that? It's a lot easier just to pick up the phone and give you a call. Well, yeah, they, they could have called me at home or I could have called them when I got to the place, but I know why my parents did it. I know why my parents would drive between 20 and 30 minutes to get to the airport. I know why they'd pay $5 to park. I know why they would walk a half a mile from a parking spot to my gate. It's because they loved me. They just wanted to deepen their relationship with me. And when you fast and you pray, you are communicating to God, I, I am willing to take some time. I am willing to go through some inconveniences. I want to go the extra mile because you are worth it. This relationship means a lot more to me than the price of a parking ticket or the time it takes for me to, to drive or the time that it takes for me to walk a great distance. The relationship is so much more important. I don't know which of these three areas you need to kind of work on, whether it's your giving, whether it's your praying, or whether it's your fasting. I, I don't know. I'll tell you this, you will draw closer to Christ if you grow in that area. And for those of you who have never named the name of Jesus Christ and said, I choose you, I, I want to live for you, I give my life to you, it starts with the giving area. When you say, okay, Lord, I'm yours. I surrender. I give. And if that's you today, when this service ends, I just want you to stay seated. And uh, there'll be someone from the prayer team that would love to just pray with you and talk with you. And, and you can leave here with a, a great assurance. Or if you need prayer for something else, you just stay seated after this prayer. And, and I know that, uh, that that prayer that will be offered on your behalf will be helpful to you. Let's pray together. Lord, you know I love this church. You know I love these people. You know I've, I've always appreciated the past leadership here I love the present leadership I, I can't wait to see what you have in store for this church in the future but in this particular season Lord may this church be a people of prayer may they go to you may their default setting be to talk to you first before they even talk to anyone else to get their advice Lord will you help us to grow in these areas it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, before you leave, I want you to know, picnic on the patio.
Unbelievable. One dollar hot dogs, hamburgers, chips, massage chairs, everything is out there, okay? <laughs> Enjoy the fellowship. Thank you all.